The last notable domino just fell in free agency yesterday, so we got to talk about that. Nathan Uvalde to the Texas Rangers. Also, um, no newsbreaker was able to break the news that Sean Murphy signed an extension with the Atlanta Braves. It was literally just put out in one of those uh, generic graphic templates by the Atlanta Braves, and then yep. the Passons and the Heyman uh, came in and reported on that. But Sean Murphy is another victim or beneficiary of the Alex Anthopoulos way of life, which is really yeah. exciting. And I do want to have the conversation of what constitutes a good organization, because I feel like, by the way, just baseball show, Jack Aram. Uh, oh, good. I, I was wondering where, what we were doing. I, yeah. I, thought, I thought we were just Zooming. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Today's Thursday, December 29th, by the way. Okay. I, I didn't know what day it was either. Yep, okay, exactly. Good. So I, I got to tell you that right off the top. But um, I, I feel like we have those teensy conversations, right? Like this is a good organizational move. And, and mm-hmm. this is why, you know, the Dodgers are a good organization, things like that. I feel like we've had that conversation for 10 seconds, like 50 times. Mm-hmm. And now I want to have that conversation for half an hour once. So we can lay out in our opinion, what constitutes a good organization. Mm-hmm. And obviously this Sean Murphy extension is some of that, but first and foremost, we got to talk about this Uvalde signing with Texas yeah. because you said it right before we started recording. And I think foolish baseball said it um, yeah. like, what did he say? High variance. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's, there's a legitimate chance that, you know, I think he, he screenshotted fan graphs projections um, and said, there's a lot of variance here, but you know, there's a legitimate chance that this is their best rotation in baseball. And, you know, understanding how far the Rangers were, you know, from being competitive next year, we, we know how good they're going to be in the future. You and I just talked about their farm system on the call up and there's the big league pieces are starting to come together there too. They're going to be a good franchise for a long time, yeah. but you know, as soon as next year is a big question, right. And, you know, at least they have a shot and it's going to rely on the health of Jacob deGrom. It's going to rely on the health of Eovaldi and and a few other guys, but there's a legitimate chance with this rotation that if all goes well, 90th percentile outcome is best rotation in baseball. Hundredth percentile outcome could be best rotation we've seen in a long time. So, you know, this is a really cool opportunity for the Texas Rangers to try to catch lightning in a bottle this year. And if they don't, okay, cool. You've got several years moving forward now to build top end success at the big league level with the farm system feeding in there. But I love the Eovaldi move because to me, that screamed urgency in the short term. And I love the way that the contract is structured. I assume that by the reflection of your glasses, that that is what you're pulling up right now. No, I was actually pulling up Nathan Uvaldi's pitcher list page. So I was pulling ah. up his, his pitch data. Um, should okay. I take my glasses off for transparency's sake? No, um, I, I couldn't actually see. I just saw a little bit of light changing in there. And I was like, uh, so he, he's, he's digging up something. Got you. Yeah. So I will pull up the Rangers payroll here in a moment, but I I do want to talk about what they're going after because we were having conversations about the Texas Rangers and how it was fun that they were going for it last offseason where they commit half a billion dollars to Seager 
and Semyon, right? 325 for Seager, 175 for Semyon. And then they signed John Gray to like a $56 million deal. And we said, okay, they just got more fun. They just got more watchable after a dog shit 2021. Um, but we still said this is one of the worst starting rotations in all of baseball. So to make the jump from one of the least enjoyable to watch and one of the worst rotations in baseball to one of, uh, if not best, then at least most enjoyable rotations to watch in Major League Baseball in the span of a year speaks to what they want to do. And it speaks Mm -hmm. to them having a multi-year plan, right? Because we said, okay, these Seager and Semyon moves have to be the tip of the iceberg. And that's a really expensive tip of the iceberg. But now we're seeing the iceberg actually being constructed in the water, right? And that is getting a lot of starting pitching talent and veteran starting pitching talent to allow the Jack Lighters and the Kumar Rockers and the Brock Porters and and the other prospects. A little bit more breathing room. A little bit more breathing room, a little bit less urgency here. Mm -hmm. And and they've got less urgency. They have less on their shoulders. They have less of um, an obligation to be really good right away. Because you've got guys in their mid-30s, in DeGrom and Uvalde. Martin Perez, I think, is on the wrong side of 30, but he's coming off of a career year, and he accepted the qualifying offer. Andrew Heaney was never as good as he was with the Dodgers last year. Can he do it again, right? So this is an opportunity to have guys that were so freaking good in 2022 see if they can do it again. And I want to shout out Yavaldi with that because we know what Heaney did, right? Like that Dodgers devil magic. We'll see if Andrew Heaney can, you know, parlay what he learned in LA to, you know, a, a nice season. And, in- and I'll tell you the pitch data on him looks real good. Real, real good. good. He, he, he could be that guy. Real good, right? And, you know, DeGrom is DeGrom. Don't need to explain him. John Gray, when he's on, is an absolute three, borderline two, um, worth a $56 million deal. And then Martin Perez, who knows what you're going to get, but obviously. That's uh, your five? Yeah, that's <laughs> your five. And he was one of the best pitchers in the American League. He was he was a bona fide, he was a bona fide two and, you know, pitched like an ace at points last year. I'm not saying he's an ace, but he pitched like one. Right. I I think Uvalde is the perfect parameter here because the conversation about Nathan Uvalde, and and I'm sure you remember it when he was in Miami Marlin. um, I latched on when he was a New York Yankee and he learned that Tanaka splitter and he was a hundred with a crazy splitter. And it was, okay, this guy is so not durable, but when he's on the mound, he's one of the most fun young pitchers to watch in baseball. Mm -hmm. And the workhorse idea never really clicked until Chris Sale went down in Boston. And Yavaldi was like the one in Boston for the last couple of years now because Chris yep. Sale hasn't put together a full season in a while. And Yavaldi, yes, he's not 100 with like that lights out splitter anymore. But what Nathan Yavaldi is, is 96 miles an hour with a relatively low spin rate on a four seam fastball. So it plays well at the bottom of the zone. A splitter that opponents hit 173 against at 88 a curveball that opponents hit under 200 against, and he mixes in a bunch of different pitches too. Slider 13% of the time, cutter 9% of the time. Some fastballs even qualified as a sinker because of how low the spin was, and then he mixed in a changeup every now and again. Like this guy is a true five-pitch pitcher that is still 96 to 97 with the fastball, still has a great splitter. I think that Yavaldi perfectly encapsulates what the Rangers could be. And that's if they stay healthy and if all those guys bring their B or B plus game, 
they could be a really good team. So real quick, I, I agree. And I want to pick up off of that point. He's also been traded a lot and, and has a pretty interesting journey. Do you know how he got to Miami? Like, you know what the trade was? No. Where was he at before that? He was drafted by the Dodgers in the 11th round. Traded for Hanley Ramirez. You're, you weren't ah. going to get it. There's no way. Traded for Hanley Ramirez. And then the Marlins sent him to New York with Domingo Herman, who was a prospect at the time, and Garrett Jones for David Phelps, Martin Prado, and Cash. He's later traded by the Rays to the Red Sox for Jalen Beeks. So I mean, this guy's been around the block, but you you set the stage well here, right? This is somebody that kind of came up. I watched him come up with the Marlins there. You know, I think he had a cameo before that with the Dodgers, but, you know, watching him really kind of get his feet under him with the Marlins, he didn't have an identity yet. And yeah. I don't think he really got that identity till he went over to New York and won 14 games. I think he went 14 and three uh, and started to get a little bit more confident and comfortable in what he was doing. And then we kind of saw him grow from there. He went to Tampa. I think they tweaked some things and then he goes to Boston and things just really, really clicked for him there. And he became the guy that, that we see now, but here's the thing is, Ivaldi is is the best Nate Ivaldi is the Ivaldi that we've seen over the last three years. Even the banged up Nate Ivaldi last season for 109 games, who threw a shutout last year, by the way, and had two complete games. Like that version, 109 innings is was better than what we've seen from him just about every single year. Besides, guess what? The year before that, where he was statistically speaking on the surface, you know, it's a, it was a three seven five, but a two seven nine FIP. If you go by F WAR. The stats love him there. We know how difficult Fenway Park can be to pitch in at times as well. He, he was dynamite last year. And then we know what we, he did in the postseason before that. So this guy's been there, done that. His numbers in the postseason are phenomenal. Um, and the Rangers have their eyes on reaching the playoffs. Maybe it's not next year, but they, they're trying to do it in the next three. And that's where it's really interesting on the contract structure that Jeff Passan kind of detailed here. And we're talking about great organizations, and we're going to get into that. And, and you know, we're probably not going to give the Rangers much time a day because they're not there yet. Yeah. But this is an organization that in three years, I think you and I are having this conversation saying this is a well-run organization. And Chris Young has this thing figured out. And I love the way that they structured this deal with the Evaldi. It wasn't just throwing money all around. So he gets bonuses of up to $3 million per year if he reaches 160 innings, which obviously is going to bump that deal up quite a bit because it's what, $16 million per year? Is that yep. what, the, what the what the breakdown is? And then a player option team in a vested option at, at uh, 20 million in 2025 if he hits 160 innings. Yes. So the player option, if he throws 300 innings from 2023 to 2024, he'll have a $20 million option for 2025. So a bunch of bonuses, a vesting option that they will be happy for that to vest if he's on the field. Because I think it's proven now, if Yavaldi is on the mound, even with the diminished velocity last year, he's going to be good. Still getting out. So yeah. the maximum of this deal is three years, $63 million. And for it to get to that point, he will be worth it. So it's either going to be, ah, uh, it wasn't a great deal. You know, we, we overpaid a guy for a short term deal, two years, 34 million. And Whatever. I think you can shoulder that in this market, or if it works out, you got a really good deal on three years, 63 for a guy that probably was a number three for you during the duration of that contract. So no brainer. I love it. I love the deal. They protect themselves a little bit. They have the upside. And I mean, this rotation has a chance to be really, really good. And I think Evaldi's going to bounce back in a big way. And again, getting him out of Boston's huge. Fenway Park is difficult to pitch in. And yeah. I think Texas is going to be a lot better for him. So I'm I'm excited about this, about this rotation. And I think the Rangers, look, they're still not there yet, man. I think we both agree there. But yep. this is a team that is a lot closer 
than they were last year. And they're just only going to continue to head in the right direction. I don't see them slowing down or stalling out. Well, and dude, they've got six arms right now. Like Odorizzi is a Texas Ranger now. He was traded again this offseason after he Which is really important because you have to assume that Ivaldi or DeGrom or one of them's going to miss some starts, right? Maybe even maintenance wise, you maybe they should miss some starts, right? So, you know, having him there, having that, that, insurance policy with Odorizzi and then the prospects that are coming up, which again, we just talked about on the call-up, Owen White, not far away. Cole yeah. Wynn, if he figures it out, not far away. They've Leiter, got some really I mean, good options. Jack Leiter, Leiter, not Leiter far and away. Rocker are not that far away. Like they're both no. double-A arms probably. They're they're a good year away from being up there. So yeah. um, things are, are looking really good in Texas. I'm a big, big believer in Chris Young and I'm really excited about what he's doing. And I just want to say like every pitching prospect they have right now, except for maybe Takoa Roby, who we talked about a little bit, every pitching prospect they have now could be in the rotation opening day 2025. And there might be a bit of a log jam there. And that is a good thing. I want to talk about who is not under contract on opening day 2025 on this team right now. There aren't many. Opening day 2025, the only guys that are not going to be there, Martin Perez, Jake Odorizzi, Brad Miller, and Mitch Garver. Everybody else is either pre-arb, in arbitration, or on guaranteed deals. Mitch Garver, the catcher, he's not even your starting catcher. You got Jonah Heim there. Brad Miller is a utility bat as best. And hey, man, if two of those four guys that we're talking about starting pitching-wise with White, Wynn, Lighter, and Rocker show up by opening day 2025, you do not feel the departure of Martin Perez and Jake Odorizzi. No. And Heaney, I guess. Heaney will be uh, off the books on opening day 2025. But yeah. you you simply don't feel it. No, not at all. Um, and that's the cool thing is they they have time to kind of see how these prospects are going to come up. You know, see how Josh Young performs this year. Is he going to be the guy that – you know, you're hoping he's going to be how quick is Evan Carter coming, who who already, you know, got a taste of double A and is our number one prospect in their system there. You know, they have another year now to to make strides at the big league level, be competitive and be able to assess everything within your system as well. They've got other pieces like Ezekiel Duran, who you know, they may trade, but also could be a piece of a part of what they're doing there. I really like him, too. And uh, that middle infield, I, Semyon, I think, is going to bounce back. From yeah. what he did last year, he was still fine. I think he's going to bounce back. Seager was good. Um, and and how about the breakout that they get from from Nathaniel Lowe at, at first base? I mean that yep. that I think is a huge, huge, huge development for them because that was a guy that was you know kind of an average hitting first baseman that and through the second half or even more than that, the, I would say two thirds of the season, the final two thirds of the season. This guy was one of the best hitters in baseball. He was absolutely dominant. So they have a really – and then, of course, Jonah Himes' emergence too. They've got a really good core coming together here that seems to only be getting better. I think the big, big, big question in this is, you know, what Jacob deGrom are they getting? They obviously paid a lot of money to find out, and, you know, that was their prerogative. Uh, I think that's fine. You got to roll the dice when you are this far off from competing, and, and he's the kind of guy that can pretty much push you over the top. If deGrom is healthy – and DeGrom gives you 175 innings next year. The Rangers are going to be relevant, man. Like, again, yeah. I, I know they have holes, but if you have the best pitcher in baseball pitching and the rest of the moves that they've made, this team can hang around and be a problem. And and that's pretty much all you can ask for, given you know how much they've been able to circumvent this rebuild and, and, and expedite it. And again, it's not just throwing money left and right. It's not just spending money here. They're making the right moves between the margins as well, and they're building the farm system for sustainable success, like we talked about on the call-up. So, I'm really excited about what they're doing here. 
And they're going to be, and you mentioned this via text, like this is going to be one of the the teams that I know we're all going to be very excited to watch. I know you're very excited to watch. Um, And honestly, I'm interested to see what this means for the trade market, because this was like the last guy. This was the last guy that could really move the needle for you in the free agent market. Michael Waka is a good, good arm, but I don't think he moves the needle the way Eovaldi is capable of moving the needle if he's healthy. Um, You know, how are some of these teams going to react? We were begging the Orioles to sign Eovaldi literally 24 hours ago. That obviously doesn't happen now. Waka has been tied to them. Doesn't move the needle, helps them, doesn't move the needle. So I'm interested to see how the trade market kind of reacts here because – he was pretty much the last domino uh, that can make a difference for that rotation for, for any team, really. Yeah, one last guy before a quick thought on the trade market. You didn't even mention Adolis Garcia, who is still pre-arb at the age of 30. He's entering his yeah. final year of pre-arb. And, and Garcia, you know, you can make fun of the, the 30-year-old pre-arb guy, but he did have a 750 OPS with 27 pumps and 25 backs. Like Adolis and how Garcia, about the defense? How about the defense? Good. He's a great defender. I, what was the F4? I, I would assume he had to be... High threes, low fours. Adolis Garcia, after I close out of this ad on fan graphs, this year had a 3-8 F4, which was yeah. better than his breakout year when he had a 3-3 in 21. I'm telling you. So, I mean, this is a guy that can really play defense. He's got the power, like you said, and, and I think he's a part of what they're building too. So, good days ahead for the Texas Rangers. And that's what you do. That's what it's about, man. When you get the stadium, invest in your team, build sustainable success. Uh, you know, the Marlins got the stadium. They invested in their team. It said, psych. Never mind, we're trading y'all, and uh, that's not how it should be. So I'm interested to see in the future. Hopefully, the, the Rangers can kind of set that blueprint out for teams that get the stadium, how to go about it, how you can spend money wisely while yeah. still building that success from the ground up. Hundred percent. Quick thought on the trade market: Baltimore needs to go like now. They need yeah. to start moving now. Um, I, seriously, dude, I just went on Locked On Orioles uh, with with a, my friend Connor Newcomb. Does a great job over there, and we were like, man. This should have happened already, which tells me, you know, that one, it might not happen. And two, there's got to be a valuation issue from both sides. The Marlins, you know, maybe valuing Lopez a little too high. The Orioles may be valuing some of their bats a little too high. And that's why they haven't gotten there yet. But guess what? Desperation breeds urgency. And I think you're going to see the Orioles, you know, that's the question, though. I don't know how much urgency they have for 2023, which we talked about, right? So, if they do feel like you know they want to compete in 2023, then I think we might see them knocking on the Marlins' door. Because I can tell you this, like the Marlins are not not keen on going into next year without getting a bat. I know that's that's kind of their worst nightmare, especially after the things that Kim Ang has said. Our lineup's going to look a lot different. Um, right now, it doesn't look a lot different. Yeah, it looks very similar. It looks very very similar. Um, I I really wish it looked different. Uh, so yeah, that that's definitely uh, going to be interesting to see how these teams react. Also, probably a couple like small moves that we should hit on, right? Rich Hill to the Pirates, one year, eight mil. Yeah, forty three. What else? Hill to the Pirates. Kimbrel to the, the Red Phillies. Uh, Kimbrel to the Phillies. Kimbrel to the Phillies happened a while ago. Happened yeah, I don't even think we talked about that at all. Oh, it, I guess that was over Christmas. Yeah, it was over Christmas. Yeah. So I, I just realizing we didn't talk about that. You 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 know Kimbrel better than I do because I only know young me grew up watching Craig Kimbrel and was terrified of him. Right yeah, like when he correct. came in for the Braves game over, he his hat was game. all nasty, his arm was weird, and, and it was over. He was gross. Yeah. I hated him. Um, he's not that guy anymore. But what's interesting is he's thirty four, and he has these little stretches where you're like, oh, there's Craig, and then 
he disappears. What are they getting, Jack? What do you think the Philadelphia Phillies are getting from a Craig Kimbrell? You're not that guy, Bell. Trust me, you're not that guy. Um, but they, but they didn't sign him to be that guy. No, so they did. Like to me, he plugs in for like David Robertson. Yeah, is he better or worse than David Robertson? David Robertson last year was better than what Kimbrell has been the last couple of years. But would you be surprised if Kimbrell plugs into the seventh inning for them and is better than than David Robertson? So I, I think did, I would be. <laughs> I don't think Craig Kimbrell's the seventh inning guy. Um, he has to be like Alvarado and Dominguez are objectively better than Craig Kimbrell at this point in his career. Um, I, I think if they signed him to be the ninth inning guy, they're making a massive mistake. But again, I, all I've done, I feel like on this podcast is shit on moves that Dave Dombrowski makes and just like, and then he just, he just owns us. Yeah. He just says like, Hey, Jack McMullen, fuck you. Um, I, like I just I saw a guy that was just so ridiculously good in 2021 for the Cubs gets traded to the White Sox at the deadline and has to share ninth inning duties with the best closer in the game at the time and couldn't throw pre ninth inning like he and Kenley Jansen, I think, are cut from a very similar cloth, which is such an outdated cloth. Like, yeah, I don't think like you can figure throw. it out. Figure it out, man. It's um, not that it's the same game. The mound's still 60 feet, six inches away in the eighth inning exactly, and the seventh inning. Exactly. And, you know, it, it just frustrated the shit out of me because that was the chance for the White Sox to go. And that was the chance for the White Sox to end the game after the sixth inning because they could go um, to Para, to Hendricks, to Kimbrell, or to Para, to Kimbrell, to Hendricks. Mm-hmm. And there was this, this excellent opportunity to do so. And shit, man, I mean, even you know, Kopech for, for innings five and six, and then you go to para Kimbrel Hendricks and, you know, it just never got done. And what I want to point to with, with Kimbrel, sorry, is in 2022 opponents hit 260 against his fastball in 2021 opponents hit 180 against his fastball in 2021 opponents hit 111 against his curveball. In 2022, that number jumped by 50 points. So I don't know. Against the curveball? Yeah, against the curveball. I don't know if that is, you know, missing bats less or missing the strike zone less. Yeah, I can kind of add to that a little bit. I can I can color that in a bit. So looking at it now on on some some of the other like analytics around it, which was really fascinating is the curveball was in the zone. 32% 32% of the time last year. So when Don't that's the case, right? He was, yeah. No one swung swing rate of 39%. Yeah. So Don't hitters swing. were going in there pretty much selling out for the fastball. Right. And, and at the end of the day, he's throwing the fastball 70% of the time. And he's going to mix in that, that curveball the other 30. And if I know that one, there's a 70% chance that I'm going to see the fastball. And then two, if there is that three out of 10 chance that he does go to the curveball, there's almost another seven out of 10 chance that it's not going to be in the strike zone. Then I'm playing the percentages and I'm hunting the heater. Right. Yeah. So that's been the issue for Kimbrell. But to me, 
this is a guy that still can do it, right? Fastball average 96. The, the, the pitch shape is still not, it's not like people are hitting the pitch. It's right. more that they're just hitting the fastball and able to have a, a pretty easy approach, which is hunt one pitch. If he locates the breaking ball, tip your cap. If he can find a way to adjust that breaking ball and get it right. And I don't know if the Phillies are the org to do it, but you know, maybe that maybe whoever they have there can work with them. You'd think it would have happened with the Dodgers. You'd think it would have happened somewhere else. Um, so that's the question, but this guy's one adjustment away from still being a very relevant bullpen arm. And I think for $10 million in this market, when it's a little bit much, I'd probably would have, you know, came in at six or seven, not my money. Um, if money ain't a thing, which it doesn't seem like it is for the Phillies, I'd roll the dice on this guy, right? Like you're not banking on him being your closer. If Craig, Craig Kimbrell flames out, okay, it is what it is. You'll call up another prospect that throws fumes and then figure it out from there. It's not an important role, but I think the reward you can get here is, you know, something that is, still close to what we remember Craig Kimbrell as. And I think it's worth it for the roll of the dice here for a Phillies team that's, you know, trying to get even in the vicinity of the Braves elite bullpen, which, you know, no one's going to, or Edwin Diaz and, and, and co over there with the Mets. So I, I like this roll of the dice. See what happens. Gun to your head. Who's better this year? Kenley Jansen or Craig Kimbrell? <laughs> Jesus. Man, that's hard because I really think I think Kenley's gonna gonna shit the bed. I really I hope I'm wrong because yeah. I like Kenley. I really do. Yeah. Um I thought Kenley was gonna shit the bed for the last like five years. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Kimbrell. I think Kimbrell has more to pitch for. Uh, I'm gonna say Craig Kimbrell. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go Kimbrell. I hope I'm wrong though, because I, I like Kenley way more than Craig Kimbrell. Yes, I'm with you. Um I don't know. I I think there's a real good chance that Kimbrel just folds when yeah, very very and, very 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 true. And yeah. and you know that's the thing with Kenley. He's not going to fold. He'll just have like a three eight, and you're like, oh god, sixteen right. million for this guy. Like, um, there's a chance that he shows up to spring training, and Rob Thompson is like, hey, you've got the seventh. Dominguez has the eighth. Alvarado has the ninth. Cool. And Kimbrel's like, yeah. no, not cool. <laughs> that's the problem, though. Is there's no in between with Kimbrel again? Like Kenley, he'll hang around the high threes and, and be fine. Like. If, yeah. if Kimbrel sucks, he's unpitchable. He's not getting an out. No, he's he, a he's a Walenda tightrope act. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible to watch. Yeah, and I know Dodger fans hated watching Kimbrel. Yep. So, but at the end I of the day, know. you know, at the end of the day, sixty innings and a three seven five ERA with with pretty good strikeout numbers. If he can improve on that a little bit, which just told you how bad the curveball numbers were, that's a fine seventh inning guy. You know, yeah, with, correct. With, with, he's with, just with, not a closer anymore. And and Kimbrel needs to accept that he's not a closer anymore. Correct. Um, 22 saves last year somehow. Yeah, because he got every ninth inning. Like he got every save opportunity. And it was just like so hard to watch. Um, Kluber to the Red Sox is another one that I want to hit on real quick, because this was the um, makeup signing after Uvalde walks, right? Like, oh, yeah. shit, we got to replace Uvalde. Let's go get Kluber. He's he's another mid 30s guy, right? High 30s. Um I I think it was Chris Cotillo um, who does great, you know, Red Sox writing. He tweeted um, something along the lines of he quote tweeted a, a tweet that pretty much said the Red Sox have lacked any direction this offseason. And we just talked about that. Like they their offseason has not made sense at all. And we just shit on him for 20 minutes on yesterday's episode. Um, yeah. Cotillo well, said, and also like it, it really I think really is just again shows the, the lack of reality, like the lack of touch with reality that they have. Correct. Cause it's like, what's, what's Corey Kluber going to do for you? Like, let, let's talk about that. Right. I mean, cause I don't think the answer is much at all. Um, and, and Cotillo said, unless there are massive trades coming, this has been a, a really confusing front. And half I can promise you there's no massive trades coming. 
Because right. who do they have to deal from? They have a good system of untouchable guys, right? You're not trading Casas. You're not trading Meyer. You're probably not trading Rafaela. You're not going to sell low on York. Like they've got pieces, but they're not going to move them. They can't move those guys. Uh, those guys are pretty much the saving grace. Marcelo Myers, you're saving grace, especially in the infield. So here's the thing. I don't hate the move. If, if they had a direction, which their direction should be sell off the pieces that aren't a big part of the future and, and kind of build for the next few years. But we talked about their false identity, them making moves like signing a Kenley Jansen as if you're on the cusp of competing, but then watching Xander Bogarts leave. I love Kluber, so I hope he does well with them, and I hope yeah. he can find a way back. But, Jack, he threw 11 pitches above 91 miles an hour last year. Um, and yeah. I'm not saying this guy needs velocity to succeed, but no, he had but- to pretty much sell out to the cutter now. Um, and, and that 86, 87 mile an hour cutter is a great pitch. It was really effective for him last year, but his margin for error is very thin. I, I think, I think he could be a solid rotation arm and that's a guy that maybe they could flip at the deadline. Uh, but you know, again, I, it's just, a, it's just a weird move. Cause if you add up all these small moves, they could have put that money towards keeping some guys or keeping Eovaldi, the, you know, first and foremost, I'd rather have Nate Eovaldi than Corey Kluber and uh, Kenley Jansen, right? Like, and Chris no brain. Martin for that matter. Yeah. Yes. And I like Chris Martin. That was a good signing, I think. Yeah. But like that one, I don't get. And the deal can max out at 27 million over two years, which is nuts. He'll earn an extra 500,000 for starting 20 games. He'll earn an extra $750,000 for starting 25 and 30 starts, meaning it will escalate to 11.5 million at 20 starts, which I mean, if you're signing this guy, into this rotation, you're assuming he's going to make 20 starts. He probably might, might make 25 if he's healthy. So let's call it a middle ground of $12 million, 12 million plus 16 million for Kenley Jansen. I'd rather have Nadia Valdi, man. Like, what are we doing? Nadia Valdi has a better chance of keeping you somehow competitive than Corey Kluber and Kenley Jansen. And the, the Kenley Jansen move is like the final move you make last year. If you're the Atlanta Braves, which is what they did, right? Yeah. You're the Braves. That's the move you make. Right. Red Sox don't get it. Look, I'm not going to fault them for spending 11 million. I think that make them marginally better, but for what? Like they are the weirdest team with, with no direction. I think out there right now, August 5th, I think the deadline was August two this year or something. So I'm, I'm going to be conservative and say August five, I would have said August one with the July 31st deadline, but can't do that anymore. Uh, August five is Raphael Devers a Boston Red Sox. See, the way they've been operating, man, I think they they convince themselves that they can extend him. They don't trade him. And they try to work out a deal. They don't. And then he leaves in for agency. Like, that's how it's gone. That's literally how it's gone. August 5 are the Red Sox fifth in the American League East. Yes. Yes. Because, I, you know, I, and again, that's not as much of an indictment on the Red Sox. I think they're going to be a decent baseball team next year. Like, I think they're going to, they're not going to be some hundred loss joke of a team. Like, no, but I like, be... I like, they still have good players, but, and I do believe Chris Hale is going to bounce back, but you'll get at the Orioles. They had Grayson Rodriguez. They add 50 games of Adley Rutschman, who is the second best or third best catcher in baseball. I think second best by the end of next year. Yeah. They, they add, who Gunnar Henderson for a whole, whole season. He only played a handful of games for them last year and was spectacular. Like they, they are adding a lot of guys to a, a team that already won 80 something games, 84 games last year. Like this is going to be a very solid team. They had givens to the bullpen, smaller moves. I wish they did more. We talked about that, but yeah, I definitely think that they're going to be the, the, the team that is 
disappointing if they're in last. I expect the Red Sox to, to finish in last. And if they if they are trending that way, maybe we do see them trade Devers. Maybe if it's that much of a disaster, they do trade Devers. And you know what? They should because they should yeah. get what they can get for him. And it shouldn't impact their ability to, to sign him in free agency regardless. Um, and, and I think they should try to make the best move for the franchise. But that has not been the case. Um, and, and we've kind of seen that. Yeah, I, I think August, you know, by the trade deadline, if it's looking like the other four teams are going to be 500 teams at the very least, and the Red Sox are looking like they are, you know, 10 games under 500, 12 games under 500, uh, I, I don't think Rafi Devers is on the team on August yeah. 5th. I don't. Um, I just don't think they can do it before the season because, you know, they're, they got to give off the facade that we're trying, try to get those fans, you know, to the stadium the first few months. And then once things go poorly. I think right. that's when we could start to see finally a direction with that team. Right. Real quick on Rich Hill. And then I want to talk Murphy and the Braves and good organizations. Rich Hill, Pirates, one year, $8 million. Hi, doggy. How are you, doggy? <laughs> Teddy Hi, joining Boots. the show over here. This is the first time I'm doing the show not in my room with the door closed. So my boy Teddy coming over to say hello. Hi, Teddy. Um, <laughs> all right. So Rich Hill, one year, eight with the Pirates. He's 42, 43 years old. Yeah, 43 in March. This doesn't move the needle for me. No, but you know what? They could dump him for a uh, back-end top 30 prospect at the deadline. He's so a flip it. guy. Yeah, it's a Quintana I, I, deal, right? There, you should be doing that. If you're a rebuilding org, you should be looking for every flip guy humanly possible. So I like it for the Pirates. And look, the Pirates, that's a team with a direction right now. And I like I like what they're doing. Yeah, it does feel like they have a direction and all the free agent signings. Like if you look at them as as a whole, it doesn't make much sense. But if you look at each of them, you say flip guy, flip guy, flip guy. It flip all guy. Works, yep. uh, right. Because it's like Carlos Santana, Austin Hedges, Rich Hill, Vince Velasquez. Like this shit makes no sense when you start. I still can't believe they gave Velasquez the edit. Dude, that was so bad. I mean, 93 down the dick taken for a cold strike three is like the first highlight. I so, <laughs> so bad. Um, it's horrible. Uh, all right. I want to talk about Sean Murphy because he just inked an extension with the Atlanta Braves. Um, obviously, you know, major win for the Braves, major win for Sean Murphy. Do you have the exact numbers uh, in front of you? I'm trying to figure out. Um, what's going on here. And let me see. I've got him. You got did, it. Did spot track? Yeah. I know spot it's track well below market value. <laughs> so they bypassed all three years of arbitration. This was supposed to be his first year of arbitration. He's making four this year. He's making nine next year. He's making 15 in his final year of arbitration. His first three free agent years are three years, $45 million, and they have a $15 million club option in his age 34 season in 2029. So you're looking at his four years that he would be into free agency at four years, $60 million for one of the better catchers in baseball. Like well, I think he would, continues to get better. Just continues to get better. So I, I think at the end of this year, we might be talking about Sean Murphy as a top five catcher in baseball. Um, real quick, in a vacuum, for Murphy, um, obviously, it, it'd be nice to bet on yourself, but it's also nice to have this long-term security. Yeah. Uh, I think he's probably really happy with this deal. Yeah, dude, I I don't get it. I I, I don't get – like, we, we we really remove the human aspect of this and, and forget, like, what, what we would be – like, have a little bit of introspection here, right? Like, what are you doing in this spot? Are you turning down $73 million when you have gone up, climbed through the minor leagues, seen really talented players flame out for different reasons, injuries, whatever, whatever it may be, right? 
you have an opportunity to sign for $73 million guaranteed. I will live my life quite happy with a fraction of that, right? So you're, and, and here's the thing too, he's going to hit free agency either at age 33 or 34, which is old, but he could sign another deal and put that those earnings closer to 100 million. When you can guarantee yourself that kind of money, I, I think I think you take it in two seconds, right? And, and I think it's really interesting. We, we kind of just look at the numbers and we don't really compute the money. And it's just like, oh, well, technically that's below market value and this and that and that. Okay, cool. Let me open a door to a room filled, stacked up with $73 million. And you say, no, I'm going to close that door. And I'm going to try to just wait it out for three more years. And I'm going to open a door with double that in, in three years. Sure. Bet on yourself, I guess. But you're a catcher, uh, a, a position where you get beat up. And you can guarantee yourself that kind of money and still get another deal on the back end. It's not like he's going to be 38. I, I, I was surprised that he took that extra year. I would, I would, if I were him, you know, I definitely would have, and I'm sure he may have tried to push for free agency at 32 or 33. Um, yeah. But you know what? You got to give on both ends to get, and and the Braves are are paying up. You know, they are paying up in the pre-arb side of things. So, look, at the end of the day, I think it shows you there's a reason why big league advance exists, right? Yes. And I think this is a very similar concept, except. They don't have to give up really, really anything to anybody else aside from the fact that they're taking below market value, but they're guaranteeing themselves money here. Um, these guys are happy to do it. And and sure, there'll be some that don't take it. But you think anybody's more confident in themselves than Ronald Acuna Jr.? Do you think there's many yeah. players that are more confident in themselves than Ronald Acuna Jr.? No. And, and another guy that and, jumps out, I think Ronald Acuna might be the most confident player in baseball. But he's also smart enough to see $100 million and take it. Correct. You know, and, and sure, maybe if he waited another year or two, he could have got more. But how about now? You think they're offering him that kind of money now? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. He I had a rough year yes. last year. I th- yes. I think yes but you, but you can see the fragility of it, right? Like yes. he blew his freaking knee out. Like it was scary. And who knows? He could do it again. I hope not. But like, I, I always think it's interesting how, you know, we're always operating under best case scenarios when it comes to these deals and and, and I love the way that the Braves are able to leverage this, man, because every time they make the trade, it's always for a player with control who they will subsequently pre-arb extend. Yes. So not only are you getting the value in the trade, you are extending those guys to where you don't ever have to pay big, big, big money in free agency, right? You never have to do the 10, 13-year deals that AJ Preller loves to do, right? That these other teams love to do. And guess what? You get way more bang for your buck because now you can pre-arb deal three or four guys for the price of one free agent, right? And that's the thing. Are those candidates going to come up often? No. It's really hard to find pre-arb guys that are available for trade that can really move the needle for you. But guess what? Every time there is one available, who's pouncing on those players? It's the Brave. It's Alex Anthopoulos. He's not trading for the guys with one year of control. He's trading for the guys with three years of control and then leveraging that. And that's how he's basically killing two birds with one stone. And that's why the Braves are going to be much like the Bobby Cox led Braves and be a dynasty for the next decade, or at least a perennial contending team. And the the only quote unquote rentals that the Braves are moving for is at the deadline, right? It's when they need to make that final push. And you Low cost moves, though. It's it's Jorge Soler. It's Eddie Rosario. It's Jack you're not Peterson. trading top prospects. Yeah, they didn't trade good prospects. Bryce for, Ball. Yeah, yeah. Not trading anybody for those rentals at the deadline here. Um, another guy you mentioned the confidence of Ronald Acuna. 
Michael Harris is another guy that screams confidence, right? Michael Harris, rookie of the year <laughs> this year. Um, he's a free swinger. If you've ever seen a free swinger, I mean, this guy does not walk. Uh, I want to shout out what he tweeted here um, at it's Josh Wolf put together this thread. Uh, I can't wait for 2025 when half the Braves roster uh, are demanding trades or huge salary bumps because the rest of the league is getting paid five times what they're getting paid. Like, do you really think in three years, Michael Harris is going to be content getting paid nine mil a year if he's a top five center fielder and his counterparts are getting 25 to 30 mil a year? There's no way, man. Somebody quote tweeted that at Mavis 11 tagged Michael Harris at money. Mike, how do you feel? Twitter wants to know, bring us that ring. And Michael Harris in strictly emojis said, shrug, dot, 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 bag is bag. (laughs) (laughs) Like, don't care. Money's money. That's the thing, man. I mean, Michael Harris secured generational wealth. Like, Sean Murphy secured generational wealth. At a certain point, you got to be okay with $80 million and not, you know, bank on the chance you get 150. If you offered me 80 right now, or the chance at 150 when I'm 35, I'm taking the 80 right now, man. There's no doubt in my mind. So yes, I agree with you. The human element is there, but the Braves have gotten so good at this. Um, I want to pull up this passing tweet real quick because he lays out, you know, who they've signed here. And I want to go about the situation that they've signed these guys uh, in. Michael Harris, midway through a rookie of the year season, right? He's under control through 2032. Austin Riley, MVP caliber season. They sign him midway through that, through 2033. Matt Olson through 2030. They saw him on the A's. They said, I like that. They signed him before he played a game in their threats. Yep. Sean Murphy on the Oakland A's. AA said, I like that. Seen enough. Signed him before Seen he enough. A game in the threads, right? Strider, midway through a rookie of the year caliber season and a flirting with Cy Young caliber season, you know, they sign him through 2029. Ronald Acuna Jr., after they see the promise, sign him through 28. Vaughn Grissom, sign him through 28 after they see the promise. Ozzy Albies, after they see the promise through 27. Freed is the only guy they haven't extended. And then you got Kyle Wright here still on pre-arb. So, I mean, they are set up for so much success. And this is where I want to move it to the good organization um, conversation because I retweeted a video that Bally sports South put out and it was Alex Anthopoulos, like on the cards in the car. Yeah, he was like in his car. Yeah. And he had like freshly big hair. Yeah. I would say big hair gel guy. I had no idea. Yeah. Massive hair gel. He needs a cut. He needs a haircut, but yeah, a little too long. I mean, I, I, I'm cool with the hair gel look, um, yeah. but it, it's just, a. he's got a lot going. I almost hitting the ceiling there. Right. It it was a bit too high. But the essence of what AA was saying, and, you know, go check out, um, you know, that tweet um, if you want to hear the whole thing. But the essence of what he was saying was, you know, there there's a flip of of the coin on on each of these deals. Right. Because there's a chance. and, And he looked at the roster themselves. I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. has proven that he's a superstar, but he struggled to stay on the field. Mike Soroka finished second in Cy Young voting and hasn't thrown in the last couple of years. Like yeah. there's always a chance this doesn't work out. But the thing that I loved that he highlighted was the sense of security and the importance of continuity. And it's mm-hmm. the guys that are in the clubhouse year in and year out that mm-hmm. have the loudest voices in the clubhouse. Yeah. Well, and let me play the devil's advocate on, on that point. Uh, 
or actually not even, I guess I'd be, I'd be on your side. So I wouldn't be the devil's advocate on it, but how about the fact that, you know, you're pretty much rolling the dice with a free agency deal too, right? Like, yes, sure. You have a few more years of success, but like at the same time, I've seen more than enough of Sean Murphy to know that this guy's a very good catcher. I've seen more than enough of Matt Olson to know he's a very good first baseman. I can understand it's a more of a roll of the dice with like a Michael Harris, given that it was very quick and early into his career. But also that's a guy that if you wait another year or two, you might not even be able to pre-arb him for for anything less than the Acuna deal. So, you know, I, I would argue that a lot of free agent signings are massive risks, too. Because you got to go long duration and you got to go at a higher AAV. So relatively speaking, I still think the pre-arb deals are a lesser risk. And I think Alex Anthopoulos knows that. Um, And, you know, of course, acknowledging the risk and that the team is taking on here, which is why the players are able to take these deals. They're comfortable taking because it's financial security. But at the end of the day, I'll roll the dice on, you know, a pre-arb guy for a quarter of what a free agent will cost any day of the week. I mean, we're looking at, you know, look at some of the free agent deals this year, right? I promise you a lot of them are not going to work out. Some of them might be disasters. Some of them might be okay. Some of them will be great, but I would rather roll the dice on pre-arb guys at lower annual average annual value uh, than, than to go just try to splash in free agency and piece together a team like that on top of what you were saying about all of the continuity points and things like that as well. So, I think they've really figured it out here. And when you look at a Michael Harris, by the way, bag is bag. He's going to get another bag because there's going to be a club option for 15 million when he's 30, another club option for 20 million when he's 31. So that, you know, those will both presumably be picked up. That's still another $35 million. He hits free agency at 32 years old. He can get himself another big time contract. Bag, dude. I mean, He'll get another bag. So he'll finish his career with 200 million in, in earnings. So like, I, I'm not worried about that for him and he's not worried about that. Right. So yeah. that's the thing, but yeah, I, I like, I like what they're doing here. And I really, I really don't think it's that much of a risk. Like I think people overemphasize the risk of, of pre-arbing these guys, because look, if Michael Harris is a disaster, what is a Michael Harris version of a disaster? Uh, a, a fourth outfielder. Yeah. Like Bellinger who what think- just got what? 16 from the Cubs. You will never see Michael Harris unless his team options are picked up, make more than $12 million, right? So that's the highest amount he'll make in one year, which is in 2030, he'll make $12 million. So if Michael Harris doesn't work out, you know, if he somehow forgets how to hit, he's he's still an elite defender at $12 million. There's legitimately almost no risk to me there. There really isn't. Like, Yeah, sure. You'd wish that you could get out of it if he somehow sucks in two years and he's still got all these years left, but Man, if the worst thing I've got is a elite defensive center fielder who can run um, and still run into baseballs at about eight and a half, nine million a year for the next eight years. Okay. All right. I'll take the loss, I guess. Another thing there on the flip side, because obviously, you know, uh, Harris is low risk because of what he does defensively. Um, Austin Riley is their biggest and most lucrative extension here. I think Austin Riley is one of the best pure hitters in baseball. And I'm thinking, okay, assuming health, what does a bad version of Austin Riley look like? And and I've got no idea because I frankly don't think the bat can even drop to league average because his approach is so simple. His swing is so quiet. I mean, he is honestly like, I want to say like the Kmart Miguel Cabrera and the Kmart Miguel <laughs> yeah. Cabrera is still a perennial all-star. Is 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 a superstar potentially. And and I think he's on the cusp of that. And, and again, like this was a guy that, they didn't, you know, they didn't know exactly what was going to come about of Austin Riley. And, and clearly he's 
put it all together with them. Um, he was somebody that they were trying to trade for JT Real Muto. Marlins weren't interested. Uh, Marlins preferred Sixto and, and Co. from the Phillies, right? So for him to figure it out the way he has with the Braves, I think is a testament to him, testament to, to the Braves too. And I think for them to to recognize now, this is a different hitter. This is a different player. Okay, we're going to give him this deal. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing, right? They didn't give him the deal a year ago or, or a year and a half ago for a reason. Um, and, and he had been up for a little while. So this is that's another one at $22 million a year. That's not going to sour on them. I think it's technically 21.2 if you factor in all the years. That will not sour on them. And if it does, somehow... I, I'm willing to lose on one of those with how much they're going to save on the others. Um, and I wonder what kind of blueprint this lays for other teams, because we haven't really seen any other teams go this hard on the pre-arb deals, right? Like what other team we're going to talk about, like some to wrap up some other good franchises, what other teams are really leaning into the pre-arb deals with like several of them had this conversation with Taylor Davis. Uh, and, and Taylor made a great point. Again, Taylor Davis going to be hosting a podcast on the Just Baseball Network right after the new year called Show and Go with Taylor Davis. I'm doing that with him. It's a player-focused podcast where, you know, Taylor and I are going to talk about the current happenings in baseball, but we're also going to have, you know, a variety of, of big-name player guests. On yeah, can you, can you, can you say some of them? Yes. Um, so episode two, first player interview, is going to be Alec Mills, but then I think we jump right to Dylan Cease. Adley He's Rutgers. pretty good. Gunnar Henderson, uh, and the list will keep on going. I think D Gordon said he wants to hop on D Strange. Oh yeah. That's not dude. I mean, I, I, cause of how much we record, I have like no bandwidth left to listen to podcasts on yes. baseball, Right, but I can promise you that's going to be the one I'm listening to. Cause I, 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 listening to Taylor Davis and, and yourself, I'm jealous that you get to talk to those guys. Um, it's, it's a huge addition to our network. I'm really excited about that. Uh, yeah, man, I, I'm super excited about it, too. But I mean, Taylor and I were talking about it. And he said, yes, like the Braves are obviously the one that have made it sexy. But the first mover there was the White Sox and Rick because yeah. they did yeah. it with Eloy Jimenez. They did it with Luis Robert. They did it with Tim Anderson. They did it with Juan Moncada. Right. So, um, you, you know, they've done it and the Braves have just perfected it and they've gone almost overkill. But overkill, uh, I think, is a good thing. Yeah. I play- Phillies did it early, too. Didn't Phillies work did out for early, them. too. Yeah. Scott uh, Kingery. Kingery, uh, the Astros did it with John Singleton, didn't work out for them. So it's about IDing the right guy. Um, yeah, and that's play. the funny thing is I did a dive on Kingery recently, and I'm oh. like, you know, how did this go wrong? And honestly, he was not a pre-arb. I know hindsight's 2020, yeah, but didn't have that much of a track record of hitting, had a, kind of a breakout, put it together, uh, major swing adjustment that that kind of clicked that breakout, but. Didn't have that much of a track record of it and and, and had some whiff concerns always. So I, that was a wild, uh, wild pre-arb guy. Uh, but even then, look at the Phillies, right? They lose out like this was a bad deal for them. They're going to pay Scott Kingery $8 million this year. It stinks. It hurts. It stings. But then it's over. It's a club option for $13 million next year. I promise that they decline it. And guess what? People were questioning why Scott Kingery would take it. I remember talking to a couple of my buddies in pro ball, and this was in the early in it, and and they were, I asked them, you know, would you take this deal if you were going off? And they were like, hell yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm still going to be able to get my bag at 30, you know? Yeah. And if I can't, they'll pick up my options, and that means I'm making 13 $14 million, and I'm playing great. I don't care. I'll make that. If, if they're picking up my options, that means I'm making other money elsewhere too. What's interesting now is Kingery, he's doomed. He might be out of baseball after this year. After they decline this option, he might be out of baseball. But thank goodness for him. He's got 20-something million dollars to his name. And yeah. it worked out for him financially. So that's just an example of 
it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it didn't work out the way he hoped. I'm sure he's not thrilled. I'm sure he's very disappointed in himself, but at least he has something to show for what he did to get to where he was. And, you know, I, I'm sure he wished it went better, but he's got $24 million to his name. Two others going on right now, Paul DeYoung, David Bodie. Both those guys are probably AAA guys. DeYoung might be a major Both league candidates that should not have gotten them. I, hindsight again, but like David Bodie. Yeah, weird. But David Bodie's secured generational wealth, which is great. Yep. Um, I want to play a quick game. I've got three words that I think every quote-unquote good organization in Major League Baseball falls into. The three words are innovator, culture, I know, corny, and growth. Innovator, culture, growth. I want you to throw me these names, and I'm going to put them into each of those buckets because there are a lot of teams that fall into multiple of those three buckets. Okay, I'll make it easy. First one, I know where you're putting the, what bucket these guys go in, Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay is their growth, right? Like that's what they do. They develop guys. I would have said innovator. They are innovators in what they do on the field, but think about the development, right? They are so good at developing what they get, but innovator as well. They fall into innovator and growth. Innovative Innovative growth. Innovative growth. There we go. (laughs) Growth because of the development that you see. But the really good orgs will fit into multiple buckets here. Exactly. And Tampa Bay, I mean, they're innovators because you you look at the pitching front, right? Take a guy that's got a really good slider. Take a guy that's got a really good fastball like Nick Anderson. Throw it all the time. Lean into perfecting that. And then on the hitting side, you take an 18-year-old in Wander Franco and say, hey, whatever you do, let's keep on working on that. And and we'll be great. Um, So There's a pre-armed deal. Yep. That, talk about a guy that would bet on himself, I think, a million times over. I know he's been banged up, but one of the 280 great hit tools we've ever seen. Um, and that guy's taking the taking the money up front too. J-Rod, the J-Rod show. He calls himself the J-Rod show. He took the deal. Um, yeah. So, yeah, again, it kind of puts it in perspective there. I know those deals were, were a little bit more money. Um, Braves. Braves are innovators, right? And right. culture. They fall into the culture bucket too because, mm-hmm. again, Alex Anthopoulos preached continuity. Continuity breeds culture. It was Freddie Freeman and Dansby Swanson, but they found culture guys again. And I think they have Astros. those guys. Uh, Astros, I, I think, are right. They're growth. They're developers. So that's where it's interesting. I think they are all three, and that's why they're a dynasty. Yeah. They're innovators with the way that they use cameras and like technology right. to optimize movements, which is really fascinating. They and, were one of the first some, minor. They were one of the first organizations using video for their minor leaguers. And then at the big league level, cameras from every damn angle. And and, and you, there's some really cool stories about Charlie Morton and what he unlocked there. Even JV, you know, Verlander really you know, connecting out there. And then and then of course now it's trickled down through their whole farm system. Had Joey Loperfito on the call up, one of the best. Pro- I think he's a top ten prospect in that Astro system. Uh, really really smart dude as well. And um, he kind of just talked about what what they have from top to bottom there. And it's like, everybody knows who he's like, I'm just a, another guy in high a, but everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows what my strengths and weaknesses are. There's people that come up to me that I don't even know just random people within the organization that just like, you don't even know what their role is, but they know everything about you. And it's just like, that's the culture side of it too. Right. So like th- th- there's just something there. And I think the dyna- the dynastic franchises have multiple of the buckets. Right. Um, right. Let me get another one for you. Cardinals. Cardinals is culture, right? They are culture, the culture, culture. when it comes to culture. Culture and and a smart-ass dude and John Mosaylock just at the top of it. 
Ah, uh, let's see here. I want another team that's a little bit tougher. Guardians. Guardians. Okay, so Guardians are culture in a different way. And I'll I would have said growth. You would have said growth. Okay, so I say I say a little bit of growth, but I say a lot of bit of culture because culture is what breeds identity. And the Guardians have an identity, right? Everybody that enters their system and they seek guys that fit this bucket, they want bat-to-ball hitters. They want pitchability pitchers. That's the identity. And they say, if you are a Cleveland Guardian, you are going to buy into this. You are going to be such a good pitchability guy. And that's what they've gotten from Bieber. That's what they have developed in Tristan McKenzie. That's what they've gotten in Cal Quantrill. Shit, man. I mean, he's he's pitchability out the ass. Um, yeah. And so many is pitching pitchability. prospects that they have, right? Gavin Williams is a pitchability guy that happens to have really good stuff. Um, I mean, Nikhazy, Mace, like they've kind of aced it with the college arms coming up. Logan Allen, another guy. Tanner Burns, another guy. And then bat to ball, man. I mean, they just have a bunch of spawns of Stephen Kwan running around. Yeah. And then Valera is a guy that offers a different flavor. And all these shortstops, Rokio, Tana. I, it's, it's crazy what they do in terms of identity. And I think that identity and culture kind of intertwine with Cleveland. I totally agree. Dodgers. The Dodgers is tough because they've used money to bypass it, but they are also the gold, the gold standard of development and growth. I think they're missing culture. I think they're missing culture as well. And I literally think that's the only reason why they haven't won the World Series. You've had turnover in the managerial spot, right? Where Mattingly couldn't win it there. Roberts, I I don't want to get Dodgers fans pissed. Like You have every right to celebrate 2020. I discredit it to a degree. I'm sorry. You don't have to, you can celebrate your World Series as much as you want. Who cares about my dumbass opinion, right? But like, right. I'm just telling you personally, I discredit it, right? Like you can only, you can only value it so much. And And every time we get 60 games through the season, I think about it and I'm like, the season just started, um, you know, so I, I I would say culture is what's missing, you know, and that's part of the reason is, is that they've always, you know, kind of signed the the blue chip guys there. They've thrown a lot of money around. It's, you know, from Manny Ramirez coming in there, Hanley Ramirez coming in and out of there, Manny Machado coming in and out of there. Like that, that that's the way that Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, they've had so many stars just pop in and out. Even Matt Kemp, who came up with them though. So a little different, but then, you know, got a little too Hollywood and ends up leaving town too. So like there was, wasn't it an Adrian Beltre even go through there? Like they, they, they've had, Dodger, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just one of those things where, and then David Price, of course, like yeah. they, they've just had a lot of turnover, superstar turnover, which is, you know, that that's, that's cool and all, but I think it's hard to build a culture there, but I think they're going to get there because of the growth side of things, right? The way that they are able to build their, their farm system and continue to scout talent. But I want to see them kind of cultivate their own guys. I think they, they they set the bar so high that it's like, I don't even want to play. I don't want to go into the season with Miguel Vargas at third. I want to package him with two other prospects and go get Manny Machado, right? Like Correct. that's what I've always felt like the, the Dodger way has been. And great. That's awesome. You want to put the, your best foot forward, but I want to see some continuity there. And I think that's kind of what's, what's been missing. And I think they're going to get there. Mookie Betts ain't going anywhere. You know, Freddie Freeman ain't going anywhere. I think Gavin Lux is a guy that they're kind of excited and who's grown up a lot and is a part of what they're doing. I don't know what the plan is with Will Smith, but we'll see. Okay. So Gavin Lux, I think is the best example on the hitting side. Julio Arias is the best example on the pitching side when it comes to growth, because Mm -hmm. these are guys that came up and failed. Julio Mm -hmm. Arias failed when he was like, the next coming of Fernando mania, right? He was this 19 year old kid, 20 year old kid coming up, making his debut. And he just sucked. Gavin Lux had the yips. 
So what do they do? They take a moment, they reflect, and they get better. Julio Arias was a Cy Young finalist this year. Gavin Lux looks like the the starting shortstop on opening day for the LA Dodgers. I mean, those guys have turned it around. You look at the minor league ability for guys to develop and grow. I mean, this system is loaded with stars. You mentioned Vargas. How about Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone turning into what they've turned into? Michael Bush is great. Yorbit V. Dustin May. Dustin May has developed and become, yeah. you know, one of the most disgusting starters in baseball. And then you also have to look at growth on the major league side. Guarantee you Noah Syndergaard is going to have a better year next year than what he did this mm-hmm. past year. Look at Tyler Anderson. He just used one year with the Dodgers to parlay it into $40 million but, with the Angels. But that kind of goes to my point, too. I wanted, I just want to see a little bit more continuity. Correct. I'm with you. Like, they need a couple of guys, and I think they have it in Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. They need a couple of guys there that are like, I'm here for the rest yeah. of and my And I think career. Lux, I think if Lux has a great first half, he might be a pre-arb candidate because that bat and that athleticism – is is just pretty hard to deny at this point, you know, and and his versatility allows them to when they want to go make their big splash. Okay, moving to second, moving to third. How he could play the outfield, right? So like you don't have to worry about it. Oh, why did we pay him? Now we want to go get somebody else. You can move him around. Um, that might be one of their pre-arb guys now that he started to figure it out. Um, and and I think the next generation of prospects, Diego Cartaya is the kind of guy that you know you hold on to. Yeah. Um, I agree on the pitching side of things that they've got some guys that they're going to hold on to. I want to see that Dodger continuity. I think that helps with the culture side of things. I really think that's the only thing missing uh, from this franchise that dominates the regular season and always seems to just come up a little bit short when it's time to go to war. Yeah. Uh, any other teams that we're missing? I feel like we named a lot of them, right? Atlanta, um, we didn't get... innovator. Which one? Atlanta, I think, is an innovator. Yeah, Atlanta's an innovator. And then honestly, like some of the other teams, they just they, they're not they're not those elite franchises yet, right? Like what would be the word that you use to describe the San Diego Padres? Money. Money. Ruthless. Like carefree. Money. <laughs> like that's the thing. And and what have the Padres or the Mets accomplished recently? That's the thing. You can't do it with money. You got to have one of those other three words that you talked about, which I totally agree with. Um, Reds could be growth. We'll see how it goes. Reds could absolutely be growth and we'll see what the continuity is like. You know, we'll, we'll see if they hold on to the steer and the McLean while Ellie De La Cruz, you know, could possibly be a superstar, those types of things. Marlins. Um, barf. Yeah, you can't, you literally, you couldn't even stretch to one of those words. I, I can't change up. I think change up literally change up is the only word that you can use that that is a positive, positive note the, about the, the Marlins. only positive word about the Miami Marlins is change up change Actually, up. it's Stottlemyre the only positive word about Miami Marlins is Stottlemyre Dude, I'd give that that guy should be the highest paid player on uh, high, third highest paid guy on the team I think yeah what Sandy Jazz Mel Stottlemyre Jr. correct I'm with you <laughs> correct I, when he was he was up for free agency, I was like, they got to give this dude the super max. Like, uh, th- th- you got to do whatever you can. Full no um, trade. Yeah. By all accounts, phenomenal dude too. That is a guy that I'm going to do everything in my power this year to get Mel Stoudemire Jr. on the podcast because I've heard nothing but great things about him. And man, I just love to talk to him about like all of the arms that he gets to work with on a daily basis. It's either one of the best pitchers on the planet and Sandy, or you get to help a Jesus Lazardo figure it out. Who's one of the most talented pitchers on the planet. And you can be the reason or Edward Cabrera, you'd be the reason why, you know, or help out why, why they're the next, you know, big guy. That's what I was going to say. Like 
every guy through the rotation. I'm going to say favorite thing about working with Sandy. Favorite thing. Working yeah. with, working I'm going to do Sarge. everything in my power, man. Um, hopefully Niner might be able to help us out with that one a little bit. Um, but it's funny because I was thinking about that for another team out there, like the Blue Jays or whatever that you have struggled to have consistency on the pitching side. <laughs> Why don't they offer Mel like crazy money? I don't know. I've got no idea. Or or like a Kyle Snyder, right? Like those two are probably crazy, the top two. Crazy cash. Um, crazy cash. I think you could work, man. But yeah, it's uh, I, I think those are the three words. Innovator, culture, growth. Mm-hmm. Every good organization falls into at least one of those buckets. Yeah. Before I forget, our new Twitter account. It's linked in the podcast description. Please, please follow that. Um, we're building that thing up and have a totally new approach to it. You know, we got graphics. We got folks helping us on the graphics side. So our Twitter is even more fun. Um, we've got a lot more going on there. Hypotheticals, kind of things that have been doing really well engagement wise. So really excited about what we're building on the Twitter side. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. If you haven't yet, go check it out. We're really excited about the growth there. Uh, Jack and I just broke down the whole Rangers farm system on the call up. Really, really fun stuff over there. A lot of good prospects. And of course, the Guardian system is coming up next. We'll be talking about that early next week. And uh, I'm excited for the content we got coming forward, Jack. You know, I think once we get to 2023, once a lot of the final moves are made, we'll be able to start talking about those predictions and kind of get into previewing this this season coming up, which I think this was one of the more eventful off seasons. I don't know if we say this every year, but I thought this was one of the more eventful off seasons I can remember um, with a lot of turnover and and a lot of, I think, you know, changing of the guard with superstars going here and there storylines that are fascinating, like a Fernando Tatis. How does he come back? Um, Yeah, I think there's just so much intrigue across the game that I don't know if I've been more excited for a baseball season in a while. We get the appetizer with the World Baseball Classic, which we'll be covering. Um, this is this could be a really good year for baseball. And last year, you know, was apparently by all accounts a really good year for Major League Baseball, revenue-wise, viewership-wise, all of those things. And I think they're heading in that direction again next year with a lot more teams having a level of interest around them, even like the D-backs of the world, right? That, you know, I'm not turning the TV off when they're on. There's only a few teams at this point. Uh, and we can maybe wrap up with this. Uh, how many teams are you turning the TV off if they're playing? Oakland? Yes. That might be it. Oakland? Washington, I'm, I, I got very marginal interest in. Unless Mackenzie Gore is pitching, I'm turning yeah. it off. Yeah. The Marlins... If Sandy, uh, like the starting rotation is, a yeah, that's the thing. No matter who's pitching there, like I'm, I'm interested in who's pitching there. Yeah, and the division's so good. I'm telling you, man. I think it's that's about good. it, man. I Pirates. I don't really want to watch the Pirates, but like even then, O'Neill Cruz. I'm really excited for the Cabrian Hayes breakout next year. That's one going to be one of my big predictions. O'Neill Cruz is is must see TV. Um, you know they've still got good players, but I'd say the Pirates. I'm not. I'm not that amped about the Reds. They're going to be fun. They're going to be fun, especially Lodolo Green. If they start calling up their guys, that's going to be a fun team. Shit, I want to watch Ashcraft too, man. Ashcraft and his turbo cutter thing. Yeah, yeah, there's really only like a couple teams. Tigers are are darn near unwatchable. Yeah, okay. A's, Tigers. That's about it. Like even the Royals are young and fun. I like, I mean, you got Bobby Witt, Bascantino, you got Melendez. It's a fun ball club. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good thing for baseball right now. That is a really good thing. I, I love basketball, the NBA. Like you, you got this all out for Wemby. Um, and, and teams are just gonna start out tanking each other. Um, 
yeah, I think there's a little bit more quality control now in Major League Baseball, which is which is good because that was a problem before. They, we, we were talking about parity issues, and I think I think baseball is the best it's been in a long time in that regard. Yes, hundred percent, man. Uh, and we're gonna save the sappy like thank you. Twenty twenty two was a great year for tomorrow's uh, episode with us three, but uh, I will say twenty twenty two was a great year for just baseball, and twenty twenty three is going to be a, a very very big year for us. I'm excited. I'm excited. And I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll try to get my sappy hat on. Peter's really good at that, man. Peter's great at the sappy shit. Yeah, I think it probably goes Peter, me, you when it comes to tapping into that sappy. Yeah, sense. I mean, yeah, I got a text from Colby today. Like, you've got no emotions, man. So I, I'm, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to get in the lab tonight. Yeah. I'm going to deep, dig deep down. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, there's this has been a blast. We'll we'll, we'll talk about it tomorrow. But um. A lot, a lot to reflect on, a lot to be proud of in terms of just how cool it has been to have this this awesome audience, you know, and, and interact with everybody, which is really fun too. And, and I've been having a blast with that on Twitter. And um, people have continued to reach out on Instagram and whatever it may be, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. Um, sometimes to just say, hey, well, of the show, sometimes to ask me a question, sometimes to correct me for something I said, I don't care. Whatever it is, um, it's been awesome interacting with, with you because- you know, sometimes we feel like we're just talking to each other on Zoom and you almost forget how many people are listening. And yeah. um, it, it's always nice to put a face to the name or, or a face to the ambiguous listener and, and just see all the awesome people that are out there. So uh, I appreciate those who have reached out. I appreciate those who, you know, we've we've become friends with through through the, over the last couple of years and I'm excited to get even more sappy tomorrow. I'll save my sappy shit for tomorrow. Uh, Sorry, we'll talk to you then. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.